Good morning and greetings from Iowa. Uh, I have usually a set of notes, you know, that I bring along so that I don't get lost. But my kids were kind enough to give me a Windows Surface. Now, for those of you that are technologically um, out of it, that's okay. But they bought me a Windows Surface for my last birthday, and I'm not going to tell you which one it was, because you would probably think it was, you know, that one that ends with zero and starts with five. I'm sure you'd believe that. But anyway, uh, they got me this thing, and I came thinking that I knew what I was going to speak on this morning, and I changed my mind, and so I'm having to, instead of using my paper, I'm using my window surface. So if I get a little confused as I go along, that's what's to blame. It's not that I'm losing my mind. <laughs> now, glad to be here. It's been a long time since uh, we've had the joy of, of being here. Uh, I still preach the gospel full time. I still try to take advantage of the opportunities the Lord gives me to minister in assemblies, camps, or whatever. Uh, it seems like the circle is getting smaller and smaller because there isn't near as much opportunity for teaching as there used to be. When I was younger, I waited on the older because they had the knowledge and the maturity to teach me. Now that I'm older, I wait on the younger because I don't want to discourage them. And as we wait on the younger, sometimes the younger are not interested in the kinds of meetings we used to have. Remember when we used to actually have a whole week or two of meetings and take up a theme and somebody that knew something about that theme would develop it? You see, our young people, unless they go to a family camp, are not being exposed much to that anymore. And I think they're missing out on, on, on a lot by not being exposed to it. But when we have the meetings, nobody comes. So what choice do you have, right? Now, I'm looking at my audience, and I just want to say this. It's hard for me to understand the Lord sometimes. But, but I'm just guessing, <laughs> actually I know, that the Lord loves you just as much as he loves me. Would you believe that? The Lord loves you just as much as he loves me. And I would also believe that as I look out at this audience that every one of you would really like to please the Lord. Probably would like to please the Lord just as much as I would. And so what we try to do in our ministry is help each other respond to the Lord in love so that we can serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And I want to encourage you. I mean, I'm only here today. And I want to leave a little mark behind me. I want to help you a little bit. And I want you to help me a little bit because we need to help each other. This is a fellowship, right? And, and I'm just assuming that everyone here is just waiting with bated breath for me to give you the key to how to really please the Lord. And I'm going to give you that today, that key. Read and pray. Read and pray. I mean, read your Bible and pray to the Lord. 
And then, as the Lord speaks to you, listen. Listen. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Isn't that really what the Lord says? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? He talked to his disciples about that. Is there any possibility that we have an issue with that as well? Well, I think we do. But my problem, and the mark I want to leave with you today, is I'm not sure we know today what the Lord says. Now, the reason I say that is because, remember in Daniel, I will get to a scripture or two before I'm done here, but remember in Daniel how the making of many books, there would be no end and much study would weary the flesh? I don't know exactly what that means. I've heard some people say that much study would be good for us because it would weary the flesh, but I went to school, and I don't think that's what it means. I think it means that when you're studying, you get very weary. I remember when I was going to school, and it's been a couple of years ago now, uh, the, one of the best beds I had was the desk on which I studied as I laid my head at my desk and got 15 minutes so I could study some more. Much study was a weariness of the flesh. And, and we've got more religious books out there today than we ever had in my early days. And so how, if you're going to do much study, how are you going to know what the Lord says? And I ask that question. You know, I will freely confess to you that one of the reasons I went full-time, quote, into the Lord's work, and I, I say quote because I hope all of you are full-time in the Lord's work, but the reason I went full-time into the Lord's work was because I wanted to satisfy myself about some basic doctrine. And the only way I knew to do it was to spend time on it. And I had to spend time on it by myself, alone with the Lord. I didn't, I was getting so many, so much noise about some things that I wanted to know where I stood on basic doctrine. Now, someday I'm probably going to get it all figured out, but there's some basic things that I do believe. I want to go over some of those things today. I know that I'm supposed to give you the more uh, studied doctrine of eschatology and soteriology and bibliology and angelology. I'm just doing that so you know I looked at those books too. But you know, that doesn't do me any good. What does me good is when I go back to the Bible and fall in love with the Lord again. Didn't you just love that song this morning? What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. What will you do with Jesus? Now, I want to read with you then from Acts chapter 2. And this is very basic material, I think you'll agree. Acts chapter 2. We know that this is the day when the church came into existence. It's the story of how the church, the, the body of Christ, came into existence. The church today is God's chosen people, right? 
We are the people that God has elected to use for his glory. We are a spiritual people. We are not an earthly people. This, this came into existence on that day. And Ephesians tells us that the Lord took Jews and he took Gentiles and he broke down the middle wall of partition between them. And of two, he made one new man, one new person. And now today, in this day that we live, the church is his body. We are his arms. We are his legs. We are his mouthpiece. We are his feet. We are where he dwells. We are his temple. Think of it. We are his temple. And it started on the day of Pentecost. And it's a privilege to be a part of that, isn't it? And you become a part of that when you come by simple trusting faith, the trust in the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Acts chapter 2, there had been this speaking in tongues and there had been the descent of the Holy Spirit. And then we have Peter standing up and, and beginning to explain the gospel to the Jews that were there. And if we preached the gospel like this today, people would meet us at the door and lynch us because verse 23 is pretty direct. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken. Notice this word. I'm reading from the old King James. And by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Would we use a word like that in preaching the gospel today? I don't know if I'd be willing to do that. Sort of like Stephen, you know, when he stood up and preached the gospel in Acts chapter 7, and he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and mind, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. Would we say things like that today? Well, I don't know if I would or not. But anyway, Peter did, and the people responded. This is what I like. I, he must have done it in such a way that they knew what he was saying was true. And so we come down, verse 37. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. He's included us in that, the Gentile nations in that. And to, and to, uh, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward, I think the idea is rebellious, generation, stubborn generation. And then verse 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I think we would consider that a successful gospel meeting. I would anyway. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And I really want to deal a little with verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word. 
We understand that the Acts of the Apostles is an historical book. It is not what we would call generally an explanation of doctrine. However, the examples in the Acts of the Apostles help us to understand the development of the doctrines that we preach in the New Testament church today. I'm sure that all of you here are aware that when we, when we study our Bible, the Old Testament is illustrative today. We don't live there. We do not live in the Old Testament. You know that. But the Old Testament illustrates New Testament truth, does it not? And you can't understand the book of the Hebrews and some of the book of Galatians and many of the New Testament books if you don't have a grasp of the Old Testament. But we're not going to go to the Old Testament today. Because when I study my Bible, I look at the New Testament, and I always look, because I want to properly understand the Bible, I always look for what the Lord taught on an issue. I look for the, the principles of what I believe in the Gospels. But even in the Gospels, some of the Gospels are oriented toward the Jewish nation and the millennium. And some in the Gospels is oriented toward the spiritual people. The principles are for all of us, but as to how it should be carried out, sometimes it's a little difficult to understand. For example, Matthew 24, he that shall endure to the end shall be saved. Now you preach the Gospel from that. He that shall endure to the end shall be saved. But if you understand that that's a prophetic passage and it's talking about the person who gets through the, the, the tribulation before the millennium, faithful to the Lord will be saved for the millennium, it's no problem at all. But we have to be careful as we rightly divide the word of truth. So I look for the principles in the Gospels. I look for examples in the Acts of the Apostles. I look for teaching in the epistles. And I believe that when we see in Acts chapter 2 the apostles' doctrine in that day, the apostles' doctrine was not yet written down, was it? They were getting bits and pieces of it. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 13 it says we prophesy in part because they were getting bits and pieces of the whole picture as the prophets were speaking. But we now have the complete picture. We have the book of the Revelation, and we have the epistles given to us. And the epistles were written by the apostles, depending on how you look at the person in Hebrews that wrote that. You know who wrote Hebrews, right? Well, I know exactly who wrote Hebrews. A dot N-O-N... Y, right? M O U S. A non Emus wrote it. And, and so I figure that I should spend my time in figuring out why I don't know who wrote it rather than spending my time on telling people who did write it because God doesn't tell us who wrote that. It's Anon Emus that wrote it. So I don't know if he was an apostle or a prophet or who he was or she was. And we have James, the, the Lord's brother. I don't know if you'd call him an apostle. But I still, in a sense, take all of those epistles and I say, this is the apostle's doctrine. 
And you young people, if you want to really know God's will, you make sure that you spend time in the letters that those men wrote because they understood the Old Testament and they had the Holy Spirit guiding them as they wrote the New Testament so that we would know how to please the Lord. That's what we've got. Okay, so we look for principles in the Gospels, examples in the Acts, teaching in the epistles. But you know, if I see it in the epistle and I don't see it in the other two, in the Gospels or in the Acts, I still figure it's for me. And there's a few places like that, and I could go into them today. But generally, you're going to see that pattern. So as we look at this, at this section, I ask myself, um, what is it really expressing to me today? I want to please the Lord. You want to please the Lord. Now, if I were to put a title on this message, I would just simply say it's back to basics. Back to basics. I want to know the basic doctrines of the Bible. Now, one of the things we see here is that they that gladly received his word were baptized. Do we understand that they that gladly received his word were those who received the gospel as Peter presented it here? And do we understand today how to present the gospel and how the Lord wants the gospel presented? And I will assure you that it's not with the four spiritual laws, though they're helpful. The gospel is deeper than the four spiritual laws. Now, the reason I don't like the four spiritual laws isn't that I don't like the, the, what the four spiritual laws state, but it's almost as though we're selling corn on the cob. And if we can just close the deal, then they must be saved. Well, look, the Bible is quite clear that when we preach the gospel, the people that are saved are born of what? Of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. We present the truth. The Spirit of God closes the deal. And I know that you're going to say, well, these people have to be told how to get faith. I'm not so sure. I think if you preach the truth, the Holy Spirit will take care of the faith issue, but then you might want to argue with me on that. You know, when we preach the gospel, do we understand that our believing never made the gospel true? Oh, ouch. Our believing never made the gospel true. Our believing makes the gospel effective in our lives. But the gospel is true whether we believe it or not. And we got to get a hold of that. We preach Christ and him crucified. We preach about sin. We preach about the need for the new birth. And we use those terms. Why do we use those terms? Because they're in the Bible. And even if we don't understand them, when we use them, the Holy Spirit can use those terms to bring about the work of salvation in the heart of an individual. I'm a firm believer that the gospel is presented to all and is available to all and that those who end up missing out on God's salvation and we can get into a whole big discussion on this, I know, but those who miss out on God's salvation, I believe, will have only themselves to blame. And the reason I believe that is because John 3 and 18 tells me why people go to hell. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he 
that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because, this is the only because I have found on this issue. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So not only do we receive truth, we can reject truth, can't we? Now I know that you apologetic type people are going to say, but what about the heathen in darkest Africa? Talk to me about that later. I'm not so sure that they're as unknowledgeable as some of us are, but nevertheless. We know when we preach the gospel that the gospel is true whether we believe it or not. And our purpose is not to preach in such a way that people put their confidence in anything other than the Lord Jesus. Our believing is not our Savior. Christ is our Savior and we believe it. We have to recognize that the Bible says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. And our whole purpose in preaching the gospel is to get the attention of a person directed away from themselves so that they can see Christ and get a view of Calvary. O joyous hour, when God to me a vision gave of Calvary, is it, can you identify with that? Do you enjoy telling people what it was like to be lost? Because now you're found. I have a confession to make to you. We were on time this morning until we got down to Harrison and turned left instead of right. My GPS would not find this address, and I should have known better than to follow it. And so we were late because we couldn't find this Bible chapel on Harrison Avenue. And do you know we were within blocks and we were so lost we called Rachel. It's my daughter and she got her maps out and she said, now right where are you? And she began to give us directions. And pretty soon things were looking right. And 15, 20 minutes later we got to this spot and we were found amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost were you ever lost I was I didn't understand what it meant to be born again I didn't understand what it meant to be saved I thought I believed and I didn't understand all of that but one day I found out that I was waiting on God to do something that he'd already done he had died for me and I rested there and I can't explain to you why that took so long for me to figure out, but I never did really figure it out. I just accepted it. I believed it. I trusted it. And people get into a lot of, and we'll talk about doctrine, they get into a lot of doctrine on eternal security, and I wonder if people ever found out that you don't make the gospel true by believing it. You make it effective by believing it. And the gospel doesn't change. Did you make two and two, you know, two and two equals four. Did you make that true by believing it? You use it every day, don't you? No, maybe not every day. Some of you don't reconcile checkbooks and that kind of thing anymore. But, but two and two makes four whether you believe it or not. And if you don't believe it, it kind of messes up, you know, 
what you're doing as a carpenter and what you're doing as an accountant and what you're doing because two and two does make four. And that's the way it is with me, with the gospel. I found out Christ died for me and you can't take that away from me. I may not always live it, but I love it. It's what Christ did for me. That's the doctrines of the gospel. Now, the problem I'm having today when I say I don't know what to believe, and we'll get to this a little more in depth later on, is that I'm talking to a lot of people who are followers of Christ. And they don't have a clue what the new birth means. They don't have a clue what salvation means. They were never lost. They always believed. Is that doctrinally sound? No. So am I unloving when I point out that that's not doctrinally sound? No. It's not unloving. But it certainly doesn't make me popular when I point that out. And I know many people that I'm breaking bread with today that have lost the simple truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom Paul was chief. And, uh, and, and of course, that doesn't make us quite as bad as Paul, but, but that means the Lord certainly did enough for us too, right? He came to seek and to save the lost. And if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. Do we understand how to preach the gospel today? It's not just a 10-minute formula. It's the conviction and conversion that comes with preaching the truth of Scripture, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, was buried and was raised again the third day, according to the Scripture. And friend, I don't know where you stand with God. I preach to audiences like this all the time, and I look at myself afterwards. I say, what were you preaching the gospel for to them? They're all saved. And I have 80-year-old ladies coming up to me afterwards and saying, I never understood that before, and I've broken bread all my life. And yes, I've had that happen. So folks, I don't know where you stand with God, but your souls are so precious that I'm going to linger here for a few moments. And if you've got any lingering doubt about whether you've been born again, eternity is long. Time is short. Make sure that you're right with God. Make sure that you're right with God. So they gladly received his word, and then they were baptized. Now, that's an interesting situation. It was in that order. Fact matter is, in Romans chapter 6, when you read Romans 6, if you read it the way I read it, I take it Paul is writing to people who were baptized, and he's explaining to them what they got. He's using their baptism as an illustration of the truth that they're walking a new life, and that they should no longer continue in sin. So what was the order? They believed, they were baptized, then they were taught all things afterwards. And so that's the commission we're given in Matthew 28, isn't it? Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them all things. And it seems like that's the way it was in Romans chapter 6. 
And I kind of think God is a God of order, although I will freely confess that one of the problems I have found in reading the Bible is that we don't understand that in the Greek and in the Hebrew, they did not write in linear time, in a, in a linear time frame like we're used to. Sometimes they, they talked in circles because they dealt with subjects and the subjects were out of order chronologically. I know that. But yet when it comes to these basic things, it seems like it was always believe, baptize, teach them all things. What do we do? No, 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 you wouldn't do it here at Claremont. No, I know that. But a lot of places I go, they believe, they're taught all things, and then they're baptized. Right? And I break bread with people that are not baptized all the time, and it grieves me. It grieves me. Because if you're really saved, why wouldn't you want to go down into four feet of water and just be honest about it? I understand that there are people that got family, relatives that will give them trouble because they do that. And I understand that they've got to be convinced in their own mind that it's worth it. I understand all of that. But folks, if baptism is important to the Lord, shouldn't baptism be important to me? Now, I know, and I'm not going to, you're going to have to come back tonight because i got some good stuff for tonight. But um, verse 38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Did Paul preach a different gospel here? I'm Peter, not Paul. Did Peter preach a different gospel here than he preached in his epistles? Because we've got people that say that you have to be baptized before you're saved. And this is their proof. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. In other words, they say you don't get forgiveness of sins until you get baptized. So what do you do with that, young fella? Young woman? You've been asked out of college, haven't you? Oh, you aren't talking to your, kid, your friends at college? Well, start talking to them. It'll, you'll learn your Bible. Because here we've got a problem if that's the interpretation. Now, one day I was listening to a fellow on the radio, and I don't recommend it usually, because they get kind of confusing to me. But this fellow, he said something that helped me. So once in a while, there's a good one. This guy may always been good. I can't even tell you which preacher it was, because I don't make a practice of listening to the teachers on the radio. But he said, you know, Years ago, there was a man by the name of Jesse James. And they used to put up posters on, you know, telephone poles and telegraph offices and, po and in the post offices and so on. And it said, Jesse James wanted for bank robbery. Now, I said, did they want Jesse James to do a bank robbery? Or did they want Jesse James on account of he had done a bank robbery? Are you getting my point? Repent. Now, if I spent time with you on repentance, you'd find out you haven't truly repented until you've come to faith. Repentance is the change of mind where you quit arguing with God and accept what he says. I don't have time to go into that. But repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ on account of the remission of sins, which you got when you repented. And it's the same gospel he always preached. You with me? Did you get that? 
So it's, it's not different. It's the same, same gospel that, that uh, we're all used to preaching. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, on account of the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, the only question you're going to have here is, did the Holy Ghost come for these early disciples after they were baptized or before? And there seems to be a transitional period when, for some of them, it came after they made their public confession. For us, we are sealed. Maybe don't receive the Holy Ghost in the same way it's being talked about here, but we're sealed upon believing, and that's Ephesians chapter 1. And that's why we look at the epistles to get the complete picture of what we believe. But they had remission of sins when they repented and believed. Now we come down then, and it says that they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. This is really one of the things I want to spend some time on, the apostles' doctrine. We've already tried to lay the background for it. But when we look at the apostles' doctrine, that is so important. There's a question in my mind as to whether we can really be in fellowship if we aren't in fellowship with the apostles' doctrine. But I hesitate to say that because I know that when we're first saved, we don't understand all of the apostles' doctrine. So what I am going to say is that when we disagree with the apostles' doctrine, it causes problems in our fellowship. I realize when we're first saved, we don't understand all the apostles' doctrine. We understand Christ died for us. We understand the basic issue of baptism. We understand the basic, some of the basic things about Christ, but we don't understand it all. But when people come to us with doctrines that are confusing, is that a problem? Yes, it is. And that's why I said I wanted to know for myself what the apostles' doctrine really was. I wanted to be able to stand before the Lord and say that my teaching was sound and that what I believed was sound. And I have come to the conclusion that in spite of what a lot of people say about the Bible, the Bible really does fit together quite well. There are some places in the Bible that I still have difficulty and I, I kind of put those verses on what I call the back burner. I say, I don't understand this. Lord, I just have faith that you're a good God, and I don't understand this. But for the most part, things have started fitting together in such a way that I am totally confident that I've believed in the true God, in the right way, and that I'll be in heaven. And that's what's important. I really believe that. But when we get to the Apostles' Doctrine, years ago, Geneva and I were holding some uh, children's meetings on our trailer, trailer court where we live. And there was a family that came to those, let their children come to them, but I talked to, to the uh, man of the house, not a lot, I didn't get to know him a lot, but he was going at that time to what has become the fastest growing, how do I use this term properly, fastest growing church in the area, Okay. And he told us, he said, well, there's one thing we don't do in our church. We don't teach doctrine. Wait a minute. You don't teach doctrine. Now, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm trying to figure out what he means by that. Because even when you come to the gospel, I look at Romans and Hebrews as epistles that teach the doctrines of the gospel. 
Romans teaches it to the Gentile. Hebrews teaches it to the Jew. They're the longest epistles, right? How can you preach the gospel without preaching doctrine? But what he meant was, we don't mess around with differences on baptism or the women's role in the church or separation. We, we don't deal with those things. In other words, what he basically said was that if it's a touchy issue, we leave it alone. That was basically what he said. Now, being the sort of person I am, if it's a touchy issue, I usually touch it. And I get burned because of it. But nevertheless, uh, I think we've got to be careful as to how we approach doctrine. But I think that doctrine is extremely important. As I look at this passage, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Fellowship follows that. Now, I'm not going to make a big doctrinal case for the fact that it's the doctrine that brought them into fellowship because we know that salvation had to come first and, and baptism followed. But it is interesting that it's in that, it's in that order, isn't it? That it was first doctrine and then fellowship. What's fellowship? Well, fellowship is fellows in a ship, right? If you're fellows, and I assume that could mean female sailors too, if you're fellows in a ship, if you don't get along, that's going to be a long, hard trip. So you work together, you each got your, your function, right? And if that's going great, life is great. And if that's not going so great, life is not so great. And it seems to me like it's the apostles' doctrine that brings order to all of that. So when we look at the apostles' doctrine, I think the apostles' doctrine is quite clearly associated with the gospel. And if you want to know where I would go to really teach you how to preach the gospel, it would be to Romans chapter 10. I would take you to Romans chapter 10. But I have to just say that when you come down to that section that says, he that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, I would not let you use it that way. I would make you read the next verse. Does anybody know what the next verse says? How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now, you can work on that yourself. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Salvation is always by grace through faith. And the calling is the result of the faith. Now, I would take you to Romans chapter 10 for the doctrines of the gospel. I would take you probably to Romans 6 for the doctrine associated with baptism. There's a verse or two in Colossians I might help you look at as well. And, and when I come to the doctrine of baptism, people will say, well, there's not a lot said about it in the epistles. Is it really that important? And my answer would be, yes, yes, it's really that important. I just want to step aside for just a minute and tell you why I think it's so important. Do you remember how that Paul was saved on the Damascus Road in kind of a unique experience? And how that he went into, um, he, when he left uh, Damascus, he went into the city, Damascus, and there was a man by the name of Ananias that was sent to him, and Paul couldn't see a thing. He was blind as, as he could be, 
the minute we're saved, not everything becomes clear, you know. And, and he was blind as he could be, and Ananias told him to be baptized. And he got baptized. And there's some confusion about exactly what happened, because if you read about this in Acts, I think it's 26, it may be 22, I forget which reference, uh, Ananias told him to arise and wash away his sins by being baptized. And some people, again, will tell you, well, you get you wash away your sins. You, you, you get forgiveness of sins by being baptized. And that isn't what Ananias was saying at all. Ananias was saying, you have stood for persecution with the Jews. Get baptized and everything you've stood for will be behind you and it will be washed away. Your testimony will now be identified with the Lord. He was not washing away his sins in a spiritual sense, but in a very practical sense, he was washing them away by taking that stand. Now, he leaves Damascus and he comes to Jerusalem and there's a man by the name of Barnabas, the good old Barnabas, the son of consolation who goes with him. And Paul wants to join himself to those who are at Jerusalem, right? It says in the King James, he essayed to join himself to those who were at Jerusalem. And Barnabas said, no, this guy's okay. And so based on Barnabas' testimony, they received him. Now, can I use a little sanctified imagination here? If those leaders at Jerusalem had said to Barnabas, oh, he's one of us? And Barnabas had said, yes. And they had said, when did he get baptized? And Paul had said, or Barnabas had said, well, that's not too important. We'll take care of that sometime. What do you think they'd have done at Jerusalem? <laughs> Wouldn't have been quite as loving and kind as we are. They'd have been out the door. But Paul had washed away his sins. He had stood with the Lord. He had turned his back on what he had once once thought was valuable. Philippians says he counted all things but loss for the sake of Christ. And he did that. His first step was his public confession of faith in baptism. And you think that's any less important today? We had a situation. I was once involved with a little assembly, and we had a lot of younger, younger people coming to the assembly. And um, one had made a profession of faith, and her parents were not associated with the assembly in any way, and they were letting her drive their car to get to the meeting, and she was breaking bread with us, and she was unbaptized, and it bothered me. But I kept saying, her parents are paying her bills. Her parents are giving her a car. I don't want to upset the apple cart so she can't break bread with us. So we didn't say much, but I had a daughter who at that time was her close friend, and uh, one Thanksgiving we put on kind of a gospel feast and invited people to come, and and then made a little presentation afterwards, and she was there, and my, my daughter had just had it up to here with her breaking bread and not being baptized. And she went to her and she says, why aren't you getting baptized? She says, because nobody's asked me. And so my daughter comes to me and she says, ask her. And so we baptized her. Later I talked to her and I said, well, the reason we held up was because we didn't know how your folks would feel about it. We didn't want to keep you from enjoying our fellowship if we asked you to be baptized. Because I have found out that people will let their children break bread with us, but when you get baptized, that's changing religions as far as they're concerned. And she says, ah, my folks would never have cared. You should have asked me. Our lack of faith. 
she got baptized. And it's been kind of a lesson to me. Yes, it is important, folks. It's important to the Lord, it's important to us. And I know I've spent longer on that than I intended to, but I hope it'll be a help to you. And then we come to this issue then of the Apostles' Doctrine. And there's a doctrine that I want to spend some time on that I don't hear much about anymore. It's called the Doctrine of Separation. Have you heard anything about the Doctrine of Separation lately? Now, in order to understand the Doctrine of Separation, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 1. Then we have to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And then we have to ask ourselves, how do we discern the difference between light and darkness? We have to do that. And, and I, I got some really good stuff for you, I'm sure, that you're going to want to hear tonight. And you don't want me to go on longer here because some of you are already so tired you're getting your naps. And so I'm going to kind of pick this up and I'm going to start with that doctrine of separation tonight and see if I can help you think a little bit about it because it is an important doctrine. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Then in fellowship, which was expressed by the breaking of bread and prayers. That's the way I see it. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Well, we do want to do the things that he says, but we've got to understand what he says, don't we? So we'll spend a little time on that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank thee for the love you've shown to us. We thank thee that we've been reminded again of the blessing of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Truth that never changed. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for sinners. Oh, Lord, we're thankful that we can honestly say that he died for us. And so as we come together, we remember him, and we've had that joy today, and now we have spent a little time in his presence trying to get back to the basics. And we trust that our hearts have been touched and that our love has been ignited once again. Lord, it's easy for us to drift. It's easy for us to count these things as important, but not so important as the other things that we must deal with today. But Lord, they're the most important things. And so help us to be enthusiastic. Help our fires to be lit as we commit ourselves into your care in our Savior's name. Amen.